right. Cool. Where do we start? I think we should start with um, Future Builders. Future Builders, yeah. Tell us about it. What's it all about? What's going on? So, um, a bit of background is probably quite useful because sort of explain how Future Builders came about. Um, because the, the previous business that I was uh, involved in was called Makers Academy. And, and at Makers, uh, we were trying to turn beginners into professional developers. Um, and part of my role was trying to work out who the, which of the 10% of applicants were the ones that would succeed on the course. And so I spent thousands and thousands of hours sat next to people helping them take their first few steps in code. Um, and what I discovered was that um, learning programming is really not about syntax and it's all about uh, how a person thinks and so it's things like metacognitive skills, it's things like problem solving, it's things like communication um, and so sort of came away, um, left Makers Academy last year, um, tried to work out what I wanted to do with my life and one of the, the problems that I see out there that doesn't seem to have been fixed yet is that we've sort of got a good handle on what to do with children and how to get them introduced to code. Um, companies like Makers and all, all of the other copycats are, um, I think, doing a really good job turning people into professionals. But the question that no one seems to have an answer to is what we do with everyone else, you know, because most people shouldn't be software developers. Most people aren't right to go into full-time professional development. But they need to have basic computational literacy and, and, and programming literacy. And we just don't have that nowadays. The, the average white collar worker has such a basic level of skills. They can just about use operating systems and basic software like Word and PowerPoint and Excel. Um, but that's really the limit of their abilities. And what that leads to, I think, is a lot of missed opportunity, um, a lot of poor ideas because people don't know what's possible, um, a lot of communication breakdown between non-technical and technical people. Um, so there's all these things that basic digital literacy really empowers you to do. But the problem we have, I think, is that no one really knows how to give that fundamental basic digital fluency to people yet. And so future builders exist to try and solve that problem. Nice. I think one of the really interesting things for me, uh, and actually since we started working together before this organ at this company, but yeah. like during Makers, was, is this kind of counterintuitive way of looking at code. And, and people think coding and learning to code is all mm. about the actual code and therefore mm -hmm. the syntax. And actually, there's far more to that long-term career, but also far more to learning these things um, than just the code alone, right? I could not agree more. And and one of the things that I've found sort of paradoxical over the last five or six years of being in this industry is that no matter who a person is, if, if they, they come to me and they say, look, I'm really struggling getting my head around some basic coding. And I say, well, that's because you can't think right. And everybody says, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I clearly haven't read the right book, or I clearly haven't memorized enough syntax to be good at this stuff. Um, and, and I mean, this isn't, this isn't uh, correlated to your, your education levels. I've seen 16-year-olds um, that failed all their GCSEs understand this stuff within minutes. And I've seen PhD graduates from Cambridge spend months banging their head against walls saying, I just can't, I can't understand how this stuff works. Um, but it really is, I think, we almost have this, this species-level problem that most people are at the sort of rational or post-rational developmental stage. 
but um, programming and really all digital and future skills require this systemic worldview which actually very few people have. According to the research, it's anything from 3 to 20% of the, of the um, global workforce have this systemic level of thinking. And, and one of my hypotheses, which Future Builders rests on, is that by learning some basic digital skills, you, you get a sort of insight into what it is to think systemically. And I hope that over time, having had a, a small experience of what it is to think in, in, this, in according to systems theories, then hopefully people will use that and they'll take it back to their, their professional life and their personal life and everything else. Yeah, totally. And I think like that idea of telling someone you don't know how to think properly is probably mm. quite a, quite like a gut in the, like a, st- a stake in the heart like oh, when totally. the first like I can totally think right totally Anyone but that's, that's the, the, the important thing is that it's not the individual's fault the 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 fault here lies with the educational institutions that are built on an outdated worldview and and forgive me an indulgence uh, for a minute Carry but on. Um, historically, we, we've been a, a species that thinks in linear ways, and that's suited us really well for the past few thousand years that we've had society and culture. And so educational establishments are designed to make uh, essentially factory workers that think according to linear formats. So there's cause and there's effect, and there are people smarter than you who've solved all the problems in the world, and your job is to go out and read their books and memorize their theories and memorize the solutions to well-defined problems. Now. Since the advent of the internet and the digital age, we've sort of moved into this new uh, worldview where linear thinking no longer applies. And we have this systemic, even intersystemic uh, system where uh, the, you can't go out and find proven solutions to your problems. That Almost by definition, any problem in front of you is you're one of the first people in the world who's ever experienced this problem. And so the, the idea that you can memorize other people's solutions to problems is no longer fit for purpose. And actually, it's becoming part of the problem. Mm. And so people need to let go of this idea that the solutions to their problems are outside them and actually look back inside themselves and realize that the problem is that we don't have very good problem-solving skills. We're not very good at deconstructing problems. We're not very good at mental modeling. We're not very good at coming up with algorithmic solutions to our problems. We're not very good at doing iterative building exploration sort of stuff when we're doing problem-solving. So Future Builders is, is, I think, trying to help people understand this truth, which is a real societal-level fact, which is that if you focus on your problem-solving skills, then all of these problems become easier to deal with. And that the idea that, that memorization equals intelligence and that you can somehow find the solutions to all the problems out there in the world is actually the problem. Mm. And so I, I'm future builders, and, and I personally am on a mission to try and help people let go of that worldview and, and recognize that they don't need to be afraid or embarrassed that their problem-solving skills aren't very well developed. The problem is the schools didn't give them those skills, and that doesn't mean they can't be developed. And, and so using something like Future Builders will hopefully help people level up in that, in that area. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that kind of analogy of the factory workers, or it's not even an analogy, it's a fact. Mm. Um, but I guess the analogy for me is like we've created a factory system for creating factory workers. And if, yeah. if, you, if you have something that goes into a conveyor belt or into a process and all that's going to come out is the same and it's just mm-hmm. going to be that kind of linear thing. And, and, and that works really well when you need tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of workers that do the same menial tasks mm-hmm. over and over again. But of course, we're moving into a world where that is no longer the case. You can get machines to do that. You can do that with robots in, in, the, in the factories, but you can mm-hmm. do that also with artificial intelligence and all these kind of things in the, in the kind of, even in the, 
the kind of uh, thinking world, if you like. So mm-hmm. a lot of these processes that people are doing when they're sat in their cubicles with their, you know, with their desktops and whatever else mm-hmm. can be done by a machine now. So you don't need people to do those things. Totally. Therefore, there's going to be this this displaced workforce, presumably, which I guess one of the reasons that I'm like super focused on this and have been in the world of education for a long time. But this squeezed workforce that are going to be redundant unless they change. Mm-hmm. A lot of them don't know it at mm. all yet, mm-hmm. and they're going to hit this barrier at some point. Mm-hmm. So I guess deconstructing that worldview of what education is all about and it moving from kind of a knowledge layer and understanding the skills-based stuff into being adaptive. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of, I've had this thing in my head for a long time, which is like turning from knowledgeable to knowledge-able. Okay, like, nice. So being able to acquire knowledge whenever you need it at the drop mm. of a hat, mm-hmm. where, rather than like knowledge for the sake of knowledge or the knowledge for the sake of memori- memorization mm-hmm. and um, and I think that's what future builders for me is all is, is trying to do as well De- like rewiring the brain almost to think in a different way mm-hmm. of course the challenges here are people think they know how to think people mm-hmm. think they know how to learn and actually we need to kind of break that down and deconstruct that for people in the first instance right I totally agree and and to your point about the sort of um, the dislocations that are going on in the workforce and and actually we expect that to, to exponentiate over the next five to ten years yeah. um, a lot of people have heard of this but but very few people understand the scale of what we're talking about that it's not just you know we've all seen the the people working in the supermarkets be replaced by machines over the past few years and we all hate them but the fact is it's going to carry on actually i'm getting to like them oh really okay interesting it makes my life so much quicker okay i can scan as i shop yeah and like i go and i scan the thing and i'm paying and i'm gone before and i'm laughing at people that are still queued up but i think my my concern (laughs) is that that we all sort of know that the menial layer of work is going to be replaced by robots but very few people are aware of the fact that you know lawyers and um all drivers and like serious white collar jobs that we think are above the level of machines not only are they going to be replaced they're already being replaced Mm -hmm. very quickly and so the the whole uh our entire species has to work out how to create value without doing the menial stuff that used to take up a significant portion of the workforce um, and added to that I, I, you're totally right that very very few people will say to you that their problem is that they can't think clearly enough or that they don't have well developed problem solving skills um, the fact remains though that 80% of CEOs recently cited lack of skills as the main thing that were holding their business back mm-hmm. and that's no small fact over two-thirds of business leaders think that they can't succeed because they don't have the skills in their workforce to succeed. And they're not saying what everyone thinks, you know, like, I want PhD-level data science, or I want, like, hot shit coders that can, like, churn out a million lines a day. They're saying they're lacking things like communication and teamwork and collaboration. And they're saying that people don't have the analytical skills to understand complex problems, and they're not able to look into complex data and find the stories in that data. They're not able to prototype simple ideas. And so people are still very, very much stuck in what, what we in the industry call a waterfall mindset, where they do all the preparation up front. Mm-hmm. And only when they know it's going to be safe do they execute a, a project. Whereas yeah. this, And this, the irony of that safe thing is that it takes two years and then it's no longer safe because it's out of date. And exactly. It doesn't solve the, the problem that it was intended for. Anymore. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so there's a really core fundamental issue. It's not that people don't have the specific skills that we're looking for. It's that like at their heart, most people are oriented to a worldview which no longer is no longer fit for purpose right and I think actually a lot of the time we get 
with this kind of whole rhetoric around the future of work, we, we fall into sometimes fall into this trap of thinking of of whole jobs being being removed mm. and like one person's job and their titles no longer exist because it's it can be done by machine mm -hmm. but actually i think the reality of certainly in the in the shorter term what we're going to see is that tasks are going to be replaced mm -hmm. by machines mm -hmm. and people are going to be able to do more and i'm kind of interested in 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 your view on this but also mm -hmm. in this idea of like we're we're trying to help people potentially build technologies mm -hmm. um at the same time of them possibly being displaced by some of these technologies yeah. and actually I think the way that at least I reconcile these these kind of two worlds is that we want people to be able to create and augment their workload with the technology as opposed to being replaced by it mm. like do the things that are simple and you don't need you know you don't you can you can use a computer to do or you can mm -hmm. use an algorithm to do mm -hmm. do all of that stuff and get that done and get that off your workload so then you can be more add more value, more impactful for your organization and kind of more creative and doing more more interesting things. And those are the things that ironically, the skills that CEOs are saying that they don't have in their workforce and they're supposed to be the soft skills that we've talked about for decades and decades and decades about mm -hmm. communication. Like, how is it that we can't communicate effectively? You know, it's like, it just seems <laughs> completely ridiculous that we're in a world where we're coming back to these things and they're supposed to be soft skills and we're mm -hmm. not... Yeah, so I'm kind of interested in your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, so the, there's a, a few interesting things that you, you pulled up there. So let me let me try and tease them out a little bit. Mm. So the first is around creativity, yeah. um, and and the whole sort of like it's as you say, it's not entire jobs that are going to disappear or get displaced. It's that there are certain things that most of us do in our days which are amenable to being turned into code effectively. So. Um, I think of a, a random example, like if there are people who work in an accounts department and they're transferring information from one spreadsheet into another spreadsheet and they're spending hours or really even minutes per day transferring information from one place to another, then that is a complete waste of time. It's actually a huge drag on our productivity because um, we need to improve our productivity levels. And it is a, a very simple piece of code to get that information moved from one spreadsheet to another. So it doesn't mean that accountancy will stop. It means that we will take all of the trivial or um, repeatable processes in a certain job. We will turn them into software effectively. And what I hope is that it will free people up to spend more of their time on the creative, strategic, long-term visionary stuff. And critically, it's that where they can control the direction of the machines according to things like values and mindsets. And that's stuff there is no expectation that robots will be will have that level of complexity anytime soon so that's the niche i think that we're going to keep as mm. as humans that we will be the sort of creative um value judging part of the system when all of the rote repeatable stuff will be handed over to the machines yeah um and then that sort of ties into your second point which is around the soft skills that um, because we've gone through this insane spurt of, of um, technological development over the last 50 to 100 years, um, we've really just been focused, uh, well, we've been riding that wave in a sense, and the, the global productivity has gone up massively, the you know GDP in, in most countries is up significantly, so it's looked like everything has been going really well. But we're just reaching that peak right now where we almost have global mobile penetration, um, we almost have everyone alive has an internet connection, and we will do in the next five or ten years, I think. And so we're almost sort of closing the circle and coming right back down to, re to where we began, which is that 
it's now back to saying, well, the quality of our communication, the quality of our problem solving, is, that's what really matters again. You know, 10, 15 years ago, you could build something online and people would just come and use it. Whereas now there is so much noise on, on the internet and there's so much complexity going around that it's super hard for people to, to value rank what the, all the stuff that's available there. Mm. And so as, as, as the human part of this symbiotic relationship with the, with the machine species, our role in that is all the sort of creativity and, and even things like beauty and, and love and these, these esoteric concepts that no one has a clue how to turn them into algorithms quite yet. And maybe right. that's where the beauty of them comes in. And so we can own that part of the process. And I think sort of um, willfully and gladly let go of some of the stuff that maybe we used to hold on to because you know, it. there is a reason why people don't want to um, sit in a car all day and drive t for 10 hours just to make minimum wage. And that actually it's, it's not a very enjoyable job for most people. Now granted there are some people that just love sitting in cars and driving around, but like a lot of people are forced into those jobs because they have to find a way to make a living. Right. Um, and, and putting those roles into the hands of the machines doesn't mean that people are going to be lost or left and doing nothing. It means that everyone needs to upskill in this new, in these future future skills, I guess, yeah. so that they can continue to create value and hopefully do it in ways that are more enjoyable and more creative and more autonomous and more purposeful. Amazing. I think it's awesome. And a couple of points just to, to kind of pull them out again, I guess yeah. one of the things is that we're moving for a long time we talked about this kind of digital divide where people have access and people don't have access to the technology and actually it's clear that that's completely almost 100 percent gone mm -hmm. there is no longer a digital divide if you don't have access to a to a device on the internet you probably can get access fairly easily apart mm -hmm. from really really remote rural uh, rural kind of tribes and these kind of things yeah. and and hopefully we shouldn't enforce it on these people like mm -hmm. they live you know, I, I think in many ways a really amazing life and something which is uh, a lot of people are trying to get back to. Anyway, um, what we what we perhaps do have is this idea of a participation divide, which mm. is like people actively engaging in creating content. And I think this is a kind of a thread that's been that's been talked about for a number of years, but actually hasn't really come to full fruition. Mm. Um, I remember a, a bunch of stuff like the late sort of what do you call it, late two thousand tens ish like yeah. 2009 10 ish um and there was this kind of whole wave of like participatory culture thing going on and like and the, the idea of participating being creating even just a status and i think we've got we've got to that stage now where people are active on social media and all yeah. these kind of things but actually they're not generating really valuable content really valuable um kind of products or tools or things yeah. that are going to help people more generally and i think that's what we're we're kind of getting to that next stage of participatory culture where totally. people can, can create yeah. value. And I, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's really well put that it's a sort of participation divide that, I mean, I can't remember exactly a few years ago, I think it was the UK government um, defined basic digital skills and they set themselves a goal of 100% of the country having those basic digital skills. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, it's up in the high 90s, like 97, 98%. Yeah. At the same time, Estonia, and, and they are now being followed by a number of other countries, have declared internet access as a human right. Because they actually believe that if you don't have it, then you are fundamentally disconnected from the global economy nowadays. And I agree with that. I yeah. think it's really important. And, and as you say, there, there may be some, some tribes and things that need protecting, but to be part of the... Um, 
Western definitely, but in the in the digital age, as I call it, then you have to have access to an internet connection. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, as you were saying as well, is there is still a very very small subset of people that are able to be creative in these new digital mediums. Um, we have a much much larger proportion of our society that has access to the internet and can get the information, but they're very much consumers and not creators. Yeah. And <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, part of the problem for me as well is that it's there's quite a big gap between consumption and creation, and it's a sort of spectrum rather than a binary. Um, and it starts with really simple things, you know, like the ability to discern the quality of certain content that you're consuming, um, the ability to understand that, you know, scientific methodology can be used in favor of certain arguments. And that, as many of my uh, accountant friends say, that, like, it's an art, it's not a science, you know, and, and science is as much an art as it is a science. <laughs> and all these things that, you know, someone will read a piece of news. And this isn't a partisan statement I'm making, you get people on the left just like you get on the right where they look for information, it confirms their biases, they take it as gospel truth and they don't realise that the the nature of this new world is that it's actually, there is content to support every belief and so you have to develop these these skills that start off with stuff like discernment and, and critical thinking and go up through to actual understanding how these systems interact and what the internet is and what an app is and, and how those two things differ. And, and then moving up to the point where you say, well, actually, I understand what an API is. I, I know how to use data sources. I can do basic data visualization right up to being a full-on creator where you can manifest your ideas in the digital medium. Um, you know, when I was a kid, everyone was talking about things like drawing and writing. And, and nowadays, I think being able to create in digital realms is potentially the most valuable skill a person can can learn. And, and as we say, the fundamental truth of this, and I think the difference between future builders and, and, and almost anyone else I can see on the market, is that it's not about learning syntax. The, the syntax is the last mile of the marathon. And I've worked with thousands of people. Some of them have spent months, some of them have even spent years memorizing Ruby syntax or memorizing Python syntax. And I give them a basic, basic problem to solve and they just melt in front of me. And I hear the same thing over and over again, which really breaks my heart. And that is, I haven't seen that problem before. Mm. And, and that's where the paradigm problem happens because the old paradigm said that if you see a new problem, then you're stuck because and your job is to go and search for a solution to that problem. Mm. But the new paradigm is that you can solve any problem. You just have to develop your problem-solving skills to the point where you can get a decent answer to it. And you might not be bang on the exact right answer, but so long as you're there or thereabouts, it's enough to keep moving forwards. Yeah, I think that's... And I totally resonate with that story. Like, I've I've been learning to code for probably the best part of 30 years mm-hmm. and still can't build an app and whatever yeah. else. And, and, like, my journey is always, is always broken down at probably the same broad point. Mm-hmm. And I've always switched languages because it's been yeah. like this time, like I started off with basic on my Atari or yeah. like Spectrum plus two or whatever, yeah. it's not 28K memory, uh, writing code for tape machines. Mm-hmm. Um, and then C plus plus at university. And then because that was like a fixed IDE and I was doing programming for like cars, little robot cars moving around and colliding and Barrett and all these kind of things, I couldn't take that out of the lab and then reuse it in a different way because I just. Mm-hmm completely stopped and then I'd start doing some HTML and some and some JavaScripty stuff and then like hit this point where like I just couldn't get to the I couldn't ever get to the point where I could think of a problem that I wanted to solve and, and actually just solve it mm. and I'd, I would always like then go on to tutorials and follow through 
guided tutorials and these kind of things and like think yeah man I've built this like whatever marketplace app and like look mm -hmm. at that it's all good um, get really excited about that and then I come and do it again I'll be like shit I have no idea mm -hmm. what to do where to start what problem it is um, and so can totally relate with you know to that that whole story mm -hmm. and um, and I guess one of the interesting things that I've got around future builders as well is this idea of like coding to the level that we're talking about we think is for everyone and it's mm. kind of a hypothesis that we have about what the future needs but actually if you even if you never code again some of those transferable skills about problem solving and systems thinking and things that you're going to be able to use in any kind of walk of life okay. but interestingly a lot of people think that learning to code is about being a software engineer mm. and one of the things that I've always like been been trying to battle with is this kind of concept of like knowing what you should work on, like careers mm. advice. There's a great article and, and kind of paper written about and, and book about this thing called Ikigai a few mm. years ago, which is this kind of intersection of what you love, what you're good at, what the world needs and what makes you money. And you should do the thing at the middle of that. Mm -hmm. But of course, you don't know what you're good at or what you enjoy doing unless you've been able to sample that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I think future builders can do is enable people to sample this world of coding and see whether it's for them as well. Mm. And like that's a really good thing to be able to do very early rather than committing X thousands of pounds and like go, leaving work and whatever else it is like a lot of the boot camps do, which are great and they're brilliant for the right people yeah. uh, who have already really invested and know that this is the thing they're going to love and are going to thrive on forever. Yeah. Um, but actually, for a whole load of people that just don't know, there's a there's a worry that people are going to go into that into those kind of environments mm. and then figure out actually quite quickly like shit, this isn't the, the thing for me. So I'm really interested in this idea of kind of sampling. Your career and what future builders can do for that as well. Oh, one hundred percent. And so, and at the risk of uh, of citing a cliche, I'm gonna gonna quote from the the late great Steve Jobs, and and he he said that um, everyone should learn to program a computer because it teaches you how to think. Mm -hmm. Um, and and forgive me for laboring this point, but it it really is where the core of of my vision for future builders came from. And and you're totally right. And another thing that I use a lot, if the, if you imagine zero is cannot write a single line of code. And 100 is um, companies will be queuing up to hire you. You get jobs at Google and Facebook with your eyes closed. Then I, I sort of split the, the learning journey from 0 to 100 into three stages. And it's not 30, 30, 30. It's 0 to 1, 1 to 10, and 10 to 100. Um, uh, a lot of boot camps and a lot of any technical, serious technical programs, they claim to take you from 0 to 100. That's not true. Most of them take you from about five to 10, up to about 20 to 30. Mm. Um, and so what, what Future Builders is trying to do is to, is to work out exactly what is the right zero to one step. How does someone take their first step in develop, developing some sort of technical skills? Um, and uh, there, there are certain, oh, I guess there's a practice in each realm, which I think of as like a keystone skill. So for example, when it comes to um, the sort of internal skills, then meditation is a, is, a, is a keystone skill. And by doing meditation consistently, everything else benefits. And I think that um, like in the, in the modern digital age, having some fundamental digital skills is a keystone skill. 
It's, it isn't something that you do when you decide you want to become a programmer. It's like reading and, and <coughs> writing. And so another analogy is that, like, you know, everybody learns basic reading and writing. That doesn't mean that everybody has to become a poet. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and some people should become poets. Some people would want to jump off a bridge if they tried to be a poet for more than a week <laughs> or two because it's just not what they're made of. Yeah. And the same thing applies to coding. I've sat with people who've told me, looked me straight in the eyes and said, I've, my whole life I've wanted to be a coder. All I care about is, big, is getting into the tech industry. And then firstly, they've learned nothing, so they can't be that serious. And secondly, after a month of actually learning, they're like, oh, it's so frustrating. The computer never does what I want it to do. I'm always getting these annoying little bugs that I spend hours working on. And when I say, but that is what it is to be a developer, they're like, well, actually, I don't want to be this. And a lot of people, they, they might watch The Social Network. They might see Jeff Bezos and Larry and Sergey and think, wow, I want to be that rich and powerful. They don't realize that a, a programmer's job is all day, every day, looking at a screen, solving problems that no one has the answers to. Yeah, yeah. And so you really, um, I, I guess the, the sort of two points, that on the one hand, that very first step is so important and so fundamental that I think everyone should take it. But then as you go through the second big step, which is 1 to 10, and the third big step, which is 10 to 100, it's almost like an order of magnitude less people that should take that step. So may, I, I would say, and, and I'm pulling the numbers out of the air a little bit, but like 100% should take the first step, maybe 10 percent should take the second step and maybe one percent should take that third step right. um, and what's happening is because there's this really fast-growing market and there's a lot of content a lot of um, momentum around stem skills and, and all that sort of stuff I think a lot of people are feeling pressured to go into that space because they think it's hot when actually it's so important that you do it for the right reasons and that's because you enjoy that complex problem-solving because that is what you basically spend your days doing yeah totally right and I, it, it, through that, I guess changing the topic slightly, but mm. kind of linking tangentially, albeit, um, I, I'm really kind of fascinated. We've talked a bunch about this, about this idea of like super specialists and and generalists, and I, I definitely see that there's a there's a growing trend um, to to that kind of more like the generalist is 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 more of a superpower actually mm. than than special. I think you need a bit of both. Mm -hmm. There's a really good book called Range. Um, uh, the name of the author has escaped me momentarily, but it was recently released, and it's kind of like saying, kind of dispelling this idea of the the ten thousand hour rule mm. of like mastery can only happen if you start really really early, deliberate practice, like twenty, thirty, forty hours a week practicing something nonstop, get up your hours, and that's the only way that you can become kind of true master, world class at it. And I think that's probably true in many domains mm. for. Um, I think it talks about uh, traditional versus wicked uh, domains and like this idea of the wicked domain which is the world that we're moving into this kind of VUCA world of, of volatility and uncertainty and all these kind of things and, and ambiguity and and actually you need to have generalists in that world that can take their learnings from different domains squash them together kind of remix them repackage them prototype them test and iterate and build all these different tools, concepts, systems, processes, whatever it's going to be, mm. um, from all of those different domains, rather than having really narrow specialisms. And there's like a whole load of things that were cited in this book about like how some of the the biggest problems that NASA or like the medical world has has been trying to bang their head bang their head against for, for so long have been have been solved by complete novices. Mm -hmm. But they've got these expert specialism areas mm -hmm. and they've kind of compiled it together into this like world-beating and fresh thinking kind of perspective and I think mm. that's that's an amazing thing and I, again 
the reason I mention this is thinking of like if there's only one percent that are going to go all the way to the hundred in your bar, yeah. Um, what do the other kind of ninety nine percent do, or what mm. do the other people do? And I think actually, if you if you do do this to the level of one or to the level of ten or mm-hmm. whatever, that go on to the next thing and do that to the level of one or ten, and then the next thing, and then the next thing, and then the next thing, and then you build up this suite of kind of good quality skills that can yeah. be remixed and mashed together to be something quite unique and quite special and that's where you can add value to organizations lives but really importantly value massive value to your own life i think as well absolutely and and i i take the frame i think it, it resonates deeply with me i i always think there will be space in the world for specialists mm. and like technical specialists um i would say that we sh- I would like to live in a world where those specialists were specialists because they love the topic and because they just they're always hungry for more information and they just love it so much they want to live it and breathe it. What I see is a lot of really smart people pushing themselves into like specialist positions in a certain industry because they think that's the only way to get money and power. Right. Um, at the same time, as you say, I think there's there's definitely a sort of rise of the generalists that's happening right now. And I want to distinguish between what I see a lot, which is what, what I often call entrepreneurs, where they're people that claim to be generalists, that have learned some very basic terminology in a handful of areas. Um, and actually, they're often quite dangerous because they, they don't actually understand a lot of the stuff they're talking about. So they, they think they are that person who solved NASA's problem, but they don't actually have enough knowledge to be that person. Um, and so I think, firstly, a it's not enough just for like let's take agile for example very commonly abused um theory and and framework and i hear people literally saying we should be more agile and they mean it in the english term not in the technical term kind of they mean literally a. we should yeah. be a, a little a we should be able to move faster yeah. we should be, have more agility yeah. whereas agile is a defined process yeah. and so what what i and well, well i'll keep with that example that I think if you want to be a generalist, then it's not enough to have heard some of the words like stand-ups and retros. You actually have to have a solid foundation in that sphere. And it's that zero to one step that so often people skip over that step and they think, well, I'll go to 10 really quickly because I'm smart and I'm, and I'm a fast thinker and I'm well-educated. And so they build their conceptual house on shaky foundations. Um, and so that makes them particularly ineffective because they, they think they know more than they know. Um, and the people that have really strong foundations, they know how little they know, and that's what makes them powerful. And so often a good rule of thumb is that if you think you have your, you have your head around something, you probably don't know very much about it. Mm. But if you're aware of how little you know about something, that means you've probably got a good understanding of it. Yeah. And it's a little bit of a counterintuitive way to frame it. Um, and then, like you said, the, there's this sort of, to what extent is it generalist? Because the, the, the sort of... Um, the, the concept that has been in, in people functions for a long time is these T-shaped people. Yeah. So you have one specialism and then you have a broad understanding. And I am sort of, I've, I've developed that in my mind to be almost like the, the Greek character Pi, or maybe even like an F on its side, yeah. where you've got two areas where you're, you're more advanced, but then a very broad, basic understanding of a wide range of, of areas. Because it's, this, it's the synthesis of different subjects and the integration of different fields where all the magic and innovation is happening nowadays. Most of the um, most of the 
achievable innovations in certain specialisms have actually been achieved over the last hundred years. You know, there's now developing quantum theory any further is exceptionally difficult. Whereas 50, 60 years ago, developing quantum theory, was, there were still lots there to be developed. Right. Whereas now it's in the crossover between certain fields and certain industries where um, you sort of get these emergent properties where the, the outcome sums to more than the individual parts that went into it. And so I think there is a huge opportunity for generalists, and, and I mean real, well-founded well generalists, and not what I think happens very much, which is people that read lots of different areas and talk the talk, but don't actually have any, any um, solid foundations. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. And I think, you know, I've probably fallen into that trap a bunch of times mm -hmm. of thinking I know something, I've definitely done it with exercise recently where I've thought I'm, you know, can do the next level up of the routine or the exercise or whatever. And then the next day I'm just in pain. I can't train for three days because I've just went, gone at it so hard. Mm. And like, I think that that kind of analogy in, in kind of sports and exercise is often something that, that's really useful in, in kind of learning and education and self-development anyway. Um, but also uh, I think I, I wonder now whether we need to start to figure out a different terminology because actually I think you're right that generalist does imply like very surface layer, layer uh, knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, and actually it is deeper than that. You have to have a robust, firm understanding and a practice of mm -hmm. some of these things in order to be able to, um, to use them and, and, uh, and reuse and be able to like apply some of those things into your everyday work or whatever it is. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, it's and kind of practice. I think it's, it's a great word that you brought out there mm. because it, it's, it's so fundamental that, um, it's so, there's so much information out there nowadays and there is, there's a, a blog post on everything you can possibly imagine. There are YouTube channels dedicated to anything you can possibly think of. And we, I think we all have this tendency to sort of like voraciously consume information and think, well, I've got that now. It's all good, you know. And then when someone randomly the next day or a week later says, oh, no, that thing that you now know, can you show me how? And you go... God, no. <laughs> yeah. And it's the practice that you really need to go through to actually understand something. And we, we were talking recently about this sort of difference between knowing something in your head and knowing something in your heart. Right. And, and I think we can extend that a bit to sort of knowing it in your head and knowing it in your hands, where it's like, can you do the thing or do you just know the terminology? Because the, the difference is, is quite important, you know. And I, again, like I said, to bring it back to technology, that I, I work with people all the time who have, you know, memorized solutions to certain problems. But then when I say, well, what's really going on here? Or like, why is that the solution? Or like, how does that compare to another solution? They just melt. Mm. And so it's, it's important that we have functional skills and not just abstract conceptual skills, you know, and a practice is the key way to develop that. And I think there's a bunch of other tools that you can use um, in order to uh, get that better grounding and understanding and, and future application of some of these concepts as well or, or any, any, any piece of learning. So one of the things that I do a lot, and you may well have seen this, and I've used it already a few times today thinking about it now, is that when I, when I read something, when I learn something, I try to kind of summarize that in a conversation or mm. I tell someone about it or I deliberately go out and say, I'm gonna teach you this thing because I've just learned it. Okay. And the reason for that is like twofold. A, it's really nice to share mm -hmm. some things that you find inspiring or, or, or even challenging. Uh, but equally, this kind of like, again, like a, some kind of uh, slogan or whatever, but if you, if you teach, you're learning twice. Mm. So if I teach someone something, especially if I teach someone something like imagining it's a six-year-old kind of thing, then you're really drilling it down into basics, then that, that shows your level of understanding. And actually in, 
and trying to kind of explain some of these concepts that you that you kind of read or whatever you're you're learning it twice but you're trying to reform it into a different way that makes it the understanding really fit fit really well as well so absolutely kind of- absolutely and it's it's great that like i probably think that you've gotten that both from a combination of your amazing instinct and also great reading and great great learning um, and it, it really resonates with me. One thing that you might uh, might make you giggle is that when when I'm coding with people, I I really I don't teach them code. I teach them how to do it, how to follow the right processes, and then they suddenly realise they don't need me, and that's great. They then fire me, and I'm very happy to be <laughs> fired. And and one of the key things I repeat to people is that what I'm doing right now is obvious. I'm not doing anything special. I'm just asking good questions and I'm and I'm forcing you. I'm 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 listening really clearly to what you're saying and I'm not allowing ambiguity. I'm forcing you to actually stare into the belly of the beast of your own confusion and to not see it as weakness or vulnerability but to see it as an opportunity to improve. And and it that all sounds very esoteric and abstract, but in really concrete terms, what I often say to people and we used to do this at makers as well as as I would say get an action figure. We actually used to do it with ducks but that's a that's a long story um but it can be a teddy bear it can be like a gi joe or a barbie doll it can literally just be a rubber duck from in your bath or a monkey monkey, anything (laughs) but like especially when you're learning to program you sit it on your like on the table next to your computer and your job is not to learn to code your job is to teach the monkey to code or teach Ah, the duck to code and so actually in the moment of you learning something you have to immediately turn to your rubber duck and explain to that duck what you just learned because it can't read right and only when you're satisfied that you have adequately trained the duck to code are you actually able to do code yourself Mm. and so long as you can't explain to this duck what you're doing as far as i'm concerned you don't understand it i love that yeah um, yeah, it's such a good concept. I've never, I've never used it. I've heard it spoken about so many times, but I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to use that one. Yeah, and and actually, very often you sort of, what I hope is that uh, the students that I work with, they start, and and I've had feedback from this that this quite often happens, is that, you know, I have certain almost like catchphrases, like what do you mean by that, right? Or like try saying that again, but more clearly. And and what what the what I hope is that over time the duck itself will start to say these things almost like <laughs> instinctively where you'll be talking to the duck for a couple of minutes and then it'll, like you'll stop and then you can almost hear it go do that again but more clearly <laughs> like, because that that's really that's it there's no the my relationship when I'm tutoring people is not someone who knows more to someone who knows less. It's someone who has well-honed processes helping the other person hone those processes so that they realize that the actual knowledge is incidental. Got it. We should build an Alexa app, which is like rubber ducking. Yeah. Alexa app, where all it does is spurts out one of those like three or four or five (laughs) questions every time you say it. That'd be brilliant. Alexa, pair with me. Hmm, we should do that. <laughs> Perfect. Nice. Um, listen, I think uh, we should wrap up. Cool. Yeah. Um, we, were do, we were going to chat for like 20 minutes and we've probably been chatting for like an hour. Or yeah. Well, like that, it's I, guess. Like it's this, like... I, I find this stuff so fascinating. And like, I'm, I'm doing this as a business, not because uh, people are coming to me and saying, I will give you all my money to teach me to think. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Yeah. Most people say, I don't need to be taught how to think. Stop trying to get me, get, get my money. 
But I'm doing this because I'm so passionate about it and I've, I've felt the truth of it by sitting with people and seeing that there's a really uniform pattern through everyone. Um, and so I can talk about this for hours. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I think we're going to do this a lot more. So um, we will no doubt talk for awesome. many, many, many more hours. Right. Um, awesome. Let's um, wrap up and uh, see you another time. Cheers, man. Take care. <laughs>